Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Everybody. I'll allow everybody to get their seats. Take your seats if you don't mind. Actually, if you really want to, you might as well go ahead and stand up. You know how we do in church, those church uh, calisthenics? Up, down, up, down. Amen. Raise your hands. Clap your hands. Stomp your feet. Dance. Run the aisles. Back in the day, they used to holy roll. We don't do that that much anymore. Have you ever seen a holy roller? Look. I don't want to show you right now because if the Lord takes over, I might be rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. And, and, and when I lived in Virginia, we had someone at the church. They did something. We called it the holy alligator. They were rolling and flopping on the floor, and God was moving. And you never know what you're going to get. Anything can happen. Amen. Y'all believe that? Anything can happen. I do have a couple announcements um, real quick before we jump into it. Parents uh, that have dropped their kids off at Sunday school today, um, starting every Sunday, my understanding from this point out is you don't have to go get your, your children. The children are going to come in here because they're going to be opening up uh, worship service, and we start at 12 o'clock. So the teachers are going to bring them in here. You don't have to kind of run out and get them. I do want to say the nursery is the only classroom that doesn't apply to all right so everybody understand that just go with it today God's still going to move it's going to be awesome the other uh quick announcement I want to make for any new guests or maybe this is your first time here at Living Hope or you like what's going on we have started this year a this is home class and uh it's a six-week class that goes on during our Sunday school hour and we want to invite you guys to to join us this is home at the starting point for every member at Living Hope uh, the class will educate you on who we are, why you're going to love it here at Living Hope, and how to strengthen your walk with God. So if you're interested in that, the next uh, starting of that class is next week. Um, right now, I'll be in there working with that class, but we already have a class that's on their second week. If you're interested, just talk to anybody that's an usher or a hostess or come see me. We'll get you guys more information. Everybody say amen. amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 25. And while you're turning there, I want to take a, take a moment and honor our pastor. Uh, we have great leadership here at our church, the best pastor in the world, the best first lady in the world. Amen. Anybody, can I get, can I get a little bit more than that, Living Hope? Amen. All right. I do want to also give honor to Brother and Sister Roberts. They're with us this morning. Brother Roberts has been instrumental in this adult Sunday school hour throughout the years. And many of us can testify to his teaching. Um, so real quick, as we started out the year teaching on the promise, we've been talking about the promise uh, that God gave Abraham, right? At the very first time we had Sunday school this year, God told Abraham that he would make him a great nation and also that through him, all people of the earth would be blessed. And then Abraham's son, Isaac, was the fulfillment, the beginning of that promise and through this genealogy, right, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we know this. Um, 
through this genealogy, God would work out the promises that he gave to Abraham. And so last week we talked about Isaac. This week we're going to continue and talk about Jacob and Esau. So a little bit of a lengthy portion of scripture. Hang with me this morning. We're going to start at verse 21. It says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why, why am I thus? Why am I going through this? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore, 60 years old, when Rebekah bare these twins. In verse 27, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob, he was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee. With that same red pottage, for I am faint. How many believe he was really faint coming from the field? Therefore was his name called Edom. He is the, uh, the head of the Edomites, if you read that in the Bible. In verse 31, and Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. How many have ever been there? I'm, 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 I'm going to die if I don't eat, right? And what profit, Esau said, shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we pray? Lord, God, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, God. This is the day that you have made, God. And my choice, God, is I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad in what you have in store for us today. I pray, God, teach us from your word. Help us to grow, God. Help us to, God, glean from your word. Challenge us. Convict us. Help us to be more like you this morning, God. And if you would pray that and believe that, would you clap your hands and seal that? In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So this morning, the title of this morning's lesson is Cherishing God's Blessings. Cherishing the Blessings of God. I thought about which way to start this morning's lesson um, in, the, in the text we're given as we uh, open up Sunday mornings, the God's Word that, that, that we're learning throughout all of our Sunday school classes. Um, for the adults, it kind of talks about how, has anyone, how many of you are, Bargain shoppers, really. Everybody, raise your hand if you're a bargain shopper. Raise your hand if you are one of those, if you see it, you got to get it right now. It doesn't matter the cost. You just want it. Some, some of y'all, I'm going to pray for y'all. You need that spiritual check and balance. Amazon is not your friend. I'm just telling you right now. Amazon is not your, your friend. 
Um, but how many know sometimes you can find good stuff cheap, right? Good stuff, quality stuff, yard sales, bargain sales, garage sales. I don't know why. This, what's the difference between a garage and a yard sale? It's still in the person's yard, but I, I digress. But have you ever looked at something not valuable in your eyes only to later on find out it was worth a lot of money, that it was worth a lot of money? Um, I could go on and on really about this. But I, as, as I was kind of preparing for today, a lot of stories came to mind. Um, there's a story about a guy who traded, eventually traded a paper clip to someone else, made a bunch of trades to get something more valuable than what he had, that he eventually trades from a paper clip to a role in a movie. He traded like a paper clip for like a snow globe, a snow globe to someone else for like a bicycle. It goes on and on as he made these trades. Eventually, he would trade something to someone that they thought was so valuable that they would give up their role in a movie for him. And he did this over a course of like three years. It's crazy how we look at things that are valuable to us, but it may look like trash to someone else, right? And so as we kind of think about the theme of this morning's lesson about um, cherishing the blessings of God, when we look at the story of Jacob and Esau, I want to start out this morning by looking at the qualities of both of these men. And the easiest way to look at them would be to start with their names. How many know names and their meanings are interesting? Right? Names, if you look biblically, names kind of, they have, they have power. They explain a little bit about who that person was. How many know what your name means? Does anybody? Cool. Hopefully you should look it up. I challenge you to look it up. Many of you know me as Brother Trey Henderson, but Trey is not my name. It ain't, it, ain't, it ain't in my name. It's not on my birth certificate. It's not part of my full name at all. I get the nickname Trey because uno dos tres. And I had one of my mom's good friends who she liked Trace, so she just switched it around and said Trey. And it kind of stuck. And I'm the third, obviously, with uno dos tres. Commonly put, I don't tell everyone I'm the third. I just go by Trey. But my real name is James. Shout out to all the Jameses out there. Do I have any other Jameses in the building? It's a, pretty, it's a pretty popular name, right? Please don't start calling me James, though, because I probably won't respond to the second, the first, the third time you say it, because I, I just don't naturally hear that. I'm so used to Trey. And anyway, depending on the situation, the circumstance, if you were to call me my real name, depending on where I'm at, my dad might answer, because his name is James. Or my son, Jay, who's James IV, he might answer. And so if you call me James, likely I'm not going to respond. But the name or the meaning behind the name James is very, very interesting. Surprisingly, the name James ties into this morning's lesson. If you don't know, the name James has an interesting history, including the fact that it's actually a translation of another super common J name for boys, and that is it is translated from Jacob. If you didn't know that, I found it interesting. In fact, the name James means the same exact thing as Jacob, means supplanter. 
Don't start calling me a supplanter, please. Or it means a substitute or the one who is following after another is what it comes down to. And it comes from, James comes from the original Hebrew word for Jacob. Because of its connection to Jacob, James is a biblical name. Two of Jesus' apostles were named James. And also, James kind of has a king, kingly name to it, right? You call me by my full name, James Edward Henderson III, it sounds kingly, don't you think? Right? It does. It feels that, right? But due to the Scottish roots of, of when James was used during the early Scottish days, it also has a royal connotation, became more widely popularized when King James VI took over the English throne in the 17th century. So for all my Jameses out there, boom, our name comes straight from the Bible. Sorry, everybody else, you don't get the same uh, blessing there, but for all the James, there you go. Amen. But really, names can be tricky, and the meaning behind the name can either be sometimes complimentary of that person, or it could be insulting of that person. If you don't know the meaning of your name, when you find out, you might be shocked. Either way, in Scripture, names tend to describe something about a person who has been given that particular name. Though Jacob's name has the meaning of supplanter, the name also has a connotation as he was born with the term heel grabber. And so that's what Jacob's name means. Esau, when he was born, the Bible tells us he was rough and hairy, as if he had already been a grown man when Esau was born. He probably looked a little weird. Um, that's why they gave him the name Esau, meaning he was already made or already kind of mature in a, in a way. He had been reared already. And this is an indication of a very strong constitution and gave cause to expect that Esau would one day grow up to be a very robust, daring, and active man. So we see, biblically, the names of both boys sort of tell us a great deal about who they were and who they were likely to become. From the moment of his birth, Jacob began to live up to his nickname of heel grabber. The Bible tells us, as we read earlier, that in the womb of Rebekah, as the time of delivery approached, the twins, they start challenging one another. How many have children that just challenge one another, right? Amen to all the parents with multiple children, especially little ones. They just, it's, I'll come back to that in a second. But the twins, the Bible says, they're, they're, they're fighting or challenging for position as they move around in Rebekah's womb preparing to be born. So Esau, who comes out of the womb first, he was in line to receive the birthright that belonged to the firstborn. Interestingly, at the moment of Esau's birth, Jacob's hand was holding on to the heel of his older brother. Hence, we get the nickname of heel grabber that was given to him. So now let's look into who these boys grew up to be like, right? As fraternal twins, because they didn't look alike, as fraternal twins, we see in Genesis chapter 25, 25 and verse 27 that not only did they look different, but the Bible tells us they were very unlike in the temper of their minds or the way of living that they chose. Esau, the Bible tells us, was a man for this world. He was a man addicted, if I could put it this way, to sports. He was addicted to the outdoors. He was a hunter. And as a man, he knew kind of how to live by his wits, right? 
for all those sports people out there, you just kind of know what to do naturally. It just comes easy to you. He was a cunning hunter, the Bible tells us, which means he was very successful at that. He was very, very good at hunting whatever he needed to hunt. That just came naturally to him. Recreation was his business. He studied the art of it. He spent all his time in recreation. He never loved a book. He wasn't that type of person that would sit down to intellectually figure it out. He would just naturally kind of work his way out to do it because that was the way he was. He didn't care about being inside. He wanted to be outside. He was a man of the field. Jacob, on the other hand, he was a man of a different type of world. If I could put it a certain way, Esau loved the physical things, but Jacob loved the spiritual things. Jacob was a man for the other world. He wasn't out or cut out to be an outdoorsman, a statesman, nor did he desire to look great. He didn't care how he looked. The Bible says he was a plain man. How many, when you look in the mirror, you got to double check, triple check, quadruple check, ladies, anybody? Hair has to be right in line, right? I'm not that type of person. Me, if I wake up in my shirt, you know how Brother Henderson, if I grab the shirt and it, don't, it ain't wrinkled, it's going on. That's just, especially because on Sunday mornings I'm in a hurry and it's like, boom, I got three kids that are like, come on, come on. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a plain man like Jacob. Um, but the Bible says Jacob also liked to dwell in tents. He was a homebody. He wanted to be by himself. He, he didn't care about going outdoors and making friends and playing sports. That wasn't Jacob's role. Jacob liked to dwell in tents. And as I looked into Jacob from a commentary standpoint, Matthew Henry says he was an honest man who always meant well and dealt fairly and that he preferred the true delights of solitude and retirement to all the pretended pleasure that came from Esau's side of things, right? Noisy sports, noisy things that got attention. Jacob wasn't like that. Jacob liked to just dwell in his tent. And so we're going to look at how these different attitudes and lifestyles played a role in a minute. But I want us to understand a little bit what led to their behavior in this story. Let's talk about the birthright for, for a minute. How many understand what a birthright is? Show of hands. Most of us, right, the birthright is fairly simple too. But the dictionary describes a birthright is the right or privilege to which a person is entitled by birth. It's very similar to inheritance or a legacy, right? In our culture, we utilize a will. When someone passes away, we, we read the will of what goes where and who gets what. And I highly recommend getting a will if you don't have one. But for most people, a will signifies who will take ownership of the goods and material that we leave behind when we die. If I die, right, my wife and children take ownership of what is mine. Biblically, and even today, still in the Middle East and in many Asian countries, the principle of the birthright is still very important because the birthright represents authority. It represents, even biblically, anointing, and it also represents power. And so in Jacob and Esau's story, that birthright would contain the authority to one day lead the family after Isaac passes away. The birthright immediately fell on Esau as the firstborn. Right now, I don't know about, I don't know about you all, but sometimes I think when we read Bible stories, we look at the characters in the stories 
kind of differently. We think of them as superhuman, right? We think about Moses parting the Red Sea or David fighting Goliath, right? When we think about Bible stories, it's hard to imagine us in a situation. Would you really go at a giant with a rock? Would you? Would you really do it? Brother Roberts, I know you're a brave man, but would you really do that, right? Sometimes we just, we don't imagine ourselves in that situation. And it looks like these characters in the Bible are bigger than they really are, right? But the truth of the matter is the characters in the Bible are human. Only other person that falls outside of this uh, qualification would be Jesus Christ because Jesus was both God and man, so there's a big difference there. But Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, they were no different than you and me. Yes, they did hear from God directly, as in audibly, right? But they made mistakes and had issues just like we do. They had issues with jealousy. They had issues with, you know, some person got this and I didn't get that. They, they had issues with how people looked at them. They had issues with trust. They had issues with anger. They, they were human just like you and I are. And so the Bible doesn't, doesn't say this, but I have to speculate just a little bit. And imagine with me just a little that when we read this story of Jacob and Esau, um, they probably had to hear stories about Grandpa Abraham as they grew up, right? They, they probably had to, to hear stories from Grandpa Abraham's time. They likely sat with their father, Isaac. I don't know if they sat by the fireplace. They sat outside. They sat under the stars as little children. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really give us insight in this, but I had to imagine they were likely retold the story over and over and over of how Grandpa Abraham heard from God. And the reason I speculate that is because that's what we do. Right? How many of you tell your children about their grandparents? You tell them where they came from. You tell them your testimony of, hey, God spoke to me and promised that he would do this. This is what we do. If you don't do that, I, I suggest you do do that because how will they know, right? How will they know any different, right? And so I have to imagine in this particular context that somewhere along the line, Jacob and Esau, had to, had to know what their great-grand or their grandfather, Abraham, went through. And so um, I imagine they were brought up understanding what God said would happen through their family. I can imagine because, again, that's what I would do, and that's what I do in my own family. Even though my children have never got to meet their great-grandfather, I've still taught them where they come from told them stories of the times I got to sit with my grandfather, James Sr. Lessons that my great-grandfather uh, or my grandfather of my children's great-grandfather, lessons that they taught my dad, who has then taught me. And so with that in mind, I believe both sons had probably heard many times how God spoke directly to Abraham and Isaac. They had to know the importance of the inheritance that would come their way, the importance of the legacy that they would live out. And most importantly, they had to know at some level the importance of the birthright and role that it would play in the future. The Bible tells us in Genesis 25 and verse 34, however, that despite probably knowing this all, the Bible says Esau despised his birthright. He despised the birthright. Jacob, on the other hand, 
could not get over the fact that the birthright would never be his. Think about that for a minute. Even though Jacob was very well taken care of, he coveted the birthright of his older brother. It's amazing that no matter how much some people are blessed by God, they still covet the blessings other people have. It's amazing how some people are blessed by God. How many know you are blessed? You are blessed. Say that. Sometimes you got to say that to yourself. I am blessed because sometimes it don't feel that way. But God has blessed us all, right? But sometimes if we're not careful, we can look at the blessings of someone else and want what, what they have. Amen? Instead of being appreciative of all that they have been given, people sometimes constantly desire more than what they have. And this was the case for Jacob. He coveted Esau's birthright. I want to stop right here and mention something. Although God had already declared when he spoke to Rebekah on how the relationship between the two brothers would be. But for us, I want to say we need to be careful that you aren't trying to covet what God did not intend to be yours. Sometimes we get all bent out of shape when we don't get our way. We don't feel it's fair. That person was blessed. And Lord, look at me. Oh, woe is me. We can get a little pity party sometimes. We want the same blessing someone else gets, and we don't think it's fair. I want to tell you life's not fair. And God never promised that it would be fair. This might hurt someone, but he could care less about how fair you think your life is. God could. Yes, he desires to bless us. Yes, he wants to see us grow and be used in the kingdom. But we must learn to be content and satisfied with how and when and in whatever measure God places his blessings in our life. We have to stop trying to covet blessings that God never intended for us to have. Instead of seeking after the same blessings that our brothers and sisters get, why don't we seek after the blessings that are found in the word? Instead of looking and saying, I want what they got, why don't you just look at what the Bible says is ours and say, God, that's only what I need. That's what I want is the blessings found in the word of God. Amen. So back to the lesson this morning, the birthright. Somebody say birthright. Jacob wanted this birthright more than anything else in the world. It was invaluable in his eyes. Esau, on the other hand, he did not realize the true value of the birthright. The choices he had made in his life put him in a position of allowing other things to become more valuable to him than the things that should have really mattered. Esau, the Bible says, despised his birthright. I know that word despise isn't a word we use very often. I despise this or I despise that. But this literally means that he disesteemed it or he disregarded it. Over the years, Esau forgot about the birthright's importance. Another synonym for the word despise is he evaded it. Every time it came up, he was like, oh, I don't want to talk about that right now. Another synonym is he ignored it. He scorned it. And finally, another synonym is that he abandoned it. He just left it alone and didn't put any type of uh, security in the birthright. In other words, he made it of less value than every other thing in his life. How many understand that 
the more you don't value things, more importantly, the right things in your life, there will come a day where the value of that thing in question will be tested. Whether it really means as much to you as it should mean or whether it just was something you didn't, you didn't care about. One day it will be tested. Those things that are important, even to the Lord, one day we will be tested. And this day came for Esau. One day while Esau was out hunting, Jacob was at home cooking. And upon returning from his hunt, Esau was exhausted and hungry. Taking a deep breath as he came into the house, he could smell the aroma of this fresh stew. And one look at the pot, and his appetite grew even more ravenous. Esau says to his brother, let me have some of that stew. Let me have some of that red pottage. And this right here was the moment Jacob had been waiting for. This was the opportunity to get the birthright he had hungered for from the very beginning of his life. Jacob quickly responds to Esau, before I let you eat anything, you got to sell me your birthright. Let's make a transaction here. And as I dug into this commentary about this story, over the years, commentators say that maybe this might not have been Jacob's first attempt. Jacob probably had subtly thrown in, hey, that birthright, you don't, you, don't, you don't want it, right? Let me have it. Over the years, he had probably sown a seed to Esau that, hey, one day, brother of mine, one day we're going to swap. We're going to swap, and I'm going to get that birthright. And so now an opportunity arises where Jacob can get it. But in this particular moment, the birthright to Esau had become something trivial and of no value at all. After all, if, if Esau didn't get his hunger or his thirst quenched, he figured what good would be the birthright to me anyway? Hey, I'm about to die, replies Esau. What good is the birthright to me? I would rather have this bowl that you cooked instead of this birthright. In that moment, a bargain was struck that would alter the course of both men's lives forever. The heel grabber finally conned his brother out of the one thing he wanted more than anything else in his life. And it's critical that we, as believers of God, that we appreciate the birthright that we're given. When we are born again of the water and the spirit, when we are baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, that's when we get access to the birthright. At the moment, God places his spirit within us. How many know the spirit that God places in you is the most valuable possession we will ever have on this earth? Nothing is more important than that. When that is inside of us, along with his spirit comes a birthright that gives us access to all the privileges of being a child of God, including the hope of eternal life with him. Proverbs 23 and 23 instructs us to buy the truth and sell it not. No possession, no material good, no job, no relationship is worth trading away our spiritual birthright. It's more precious than anything this world has to offer, amen? But I want to really quickly explain kind of, when I look at this story of Jacob and Esau, I look at Jacob as the bad guy. Does anybody else look at me, look at Jacob as the bad guy? The Lord kind of showed me something here as I was 
as I was studying this. I look at Jacob as the bad guy. How can you con your brother? How many of you ever had been conned or got in trouble and it wasn't your fault by a brother or a sister? Come on now. That just sits, don't sit right with me. It doesn't. Can't tell you how many times I got the rod of correction as a child. And I didn't have nothing to do with it. I wasn't even in the room. I wasn't even at home. But I still got the rod of correction. Right? But I want to explain a little bit of a misconception that Jacob was always out to deceive his brother. It's kind of a misguided understanding we might have of, of Jacob. And, and real quickly, while we cannot take away Esau's responsibility, right, Esau had a choice in this matter too, right? Esau, Esau didn't just let Jacob run over him in this manner. Over the years, he was worn down into this particular decision. So we can't take away Esau's responsibility because he made a decision on his own. But in this particular story, we have to keep in mind, and this is what God kind of revealed to me, that These two boys grew up in a home that many of us would call, in today's world, a difficult home, maybe even a dysfunctional home. The influence of the tension in the home would have greatly affected both of these boys as they grew up. And many of you might be wondering where I'm going with this, but in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 28, if you can bring that up, here's where this tension arises from. The Bible says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I know all y'all out there are perfect parents. Raise your hand if you're a parent, right? How many parents we got in the building? Amen. I don't have to tell you to love your children equally. I don't have to tell you. You should already do that. However, showing them that love sometimes can be challenging. If you're a parent with multiple children, you get what I'm saying. One may wonder, however, in this particular case, there's only two children on the scene. One may wonder if this biased love from each parent was part of the reason for the selling of the birthright. Isaac loved Esau because he was an outdoorsman, the Bible says, and a hunter. He was more inclined to the earthly pursuits. On the other hand, Jacob was given to intellectual and spiritual things, which caused Rebekah to love him. Also, remember in this story, Rebekah, I don't know if Rebekah ever told Isaac what God spoke to her, but Rebekah had a revelation that in the future, the younger would eventually rule over the older. She was the only one, as we can see in, in Scripture, that had this revelation. So maybe that's why she loved Jacob more. I don't, I don't know. But such an upbringing makes us wonder if perhaps at some point in time, Isaac and Rebekah neglected to speak to each child on equal terms. For instance, did they ever take time to teach Esau about the spiritual side of life and how valuable it was to have a spiritual relationship with the Lord? Better yet, did they teach Jacob what it was like to get outside a little bit? Don't sit there in the home or don't sit there isolated by yourself. Why don't you go outside Work with your hands a little bit. Appreciate hard work and what it takes to be in the outdoors. Did they truly recognize the differences between the two sons, right? We see the differences in Scripture, but maybe over time it just kind of went in one ear and went out the other. It was just natural. This is what the boys did. Did they take the time, right, 
to appreciate what each son did while at the same time teach them the significance of submitting themselves to the Lord. When parents become divided in their love for their children, they unwittingly create conflicts that can lead to anger and bitterness. Wise parents make willing choices not to favor one child over the other. I know it's hard. I know it. Trust me, when you get over that number of two, it gets harder and harder to make time to equally show your love for your children. But what really takes the cake for this disjointed family life within this household is that Rebecca helps Jacob steal the birthright. Rebecca joins in on the conspiracy. She willingly helps one son con the other son. What kind of mother, you know, what kind of mother would do that? You would think, right? Something is going wrong in this household if, if that's what it's come down to, right? In Genesis chapter 27, two chapters later from the verse we read, when the day drew near for Isaac's, Departure from this world as he's getting close to, to dying. He made the decision to bestow the blessing on the firstborn. Isaac tells his firstborn son Esau, go kill me some fresh game and prepare it for me. And we find Rebecca eavesdropping on this conversation between Isaac and his firstborn son. Rebecca, after hearing this conversation, conspires with the younger son Jacob to steal the blessing before Esau could return to honor his father's request. Rebecca, not Jacob, Rebecca does the legwork. She finds a fresh goat of the field and she kills that goat and she prepares the meat for her husband. Jacob's not the one that did this. Jacob's not the one that made this decision. Rebecca is the one that made this decision. Then she wraps, again, Jacob didn't do this. Then Rebecca wraps the skins of the goat on Jacob's forearms and hands in order to deceive Isaac into thinking Jacob was Esau. And so a lot of times when I look at this story, I place the blame on Jacob, right? But something is wrong here if the mom tells the son, this is what we're going to do. And the son, who's going to disobey his mom, right? I mean, that's not, the Bible says, honor your, honor your mother and father. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to listen. So how can you place the fault on Jacob here in this in, in scenario, Genesis chapter 27, verse 18 says, And Jacob comes unto his father and says, My father. And, and Isaac says, uh, oh, Sorry, back up. He says unto his father, and says, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau. Here's where the lie. I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac says unto his son, how is it that you have found what I asked you to do so quickly, my son? And here's Jacob's response, because the Lord thy God brought it to me, my God. That's some boldness right there. Can't out his mother. Have you ever, have you ever, hey, mama told me, have you ever used that one? You can't, the Lord is the one that, that, that did this. Come on now. And Isaac said unto Jacob, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, 
And he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And the Bible says, Isaac discerned him not because his hands were hairy as his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he says, once more, art thou my son, my very son Esau? And Jacob says, I am. He says, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and smelled the smell of his raiment, and blessed him, and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field, which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore, God, give thee of the dew of heaven. Here's the blessing. And the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. So with that lie, helped by the mother. Boy, Eve messed up, Rebecca messed up. Come on. With that deceptive answer, And help from his mother, the heel grabber, deceived his father and received the blessing that was intended for Esau. And if you read the next verse, mere moments after Jacob leaves his father, Esau comes in the door. Comes right in with fresh venison prepared for Isaac. And the Bible says that Isaac trembled at hearing the voice of Esau. And Isaac speaks the words that Esau does not want to hear. And I'm summarizing here for the sake of time, but who in the world are you? Where, I, I thought you were, I thought you were already talking to me. Who, who are you that has come in? What happened to the man who just brought me venison and received the blessing? I've already given him the blessing. Essentially, it was too late for the blessing to go to Esau. Esau's opportunity was missed and taken away from him. Can you imagine how Esau must have felt? He had known his father was growing weaker with every passing day. Esau knew it would not be long before his his father would draw his final breath. But Esau knew that before his father died, his father would lay hands on him and give him the blessing that belonged to the firstborn. But now that has been stripped from him, stolen right out from under his hands by his heel-grabbing brother. It's bad enough that Jacob bargained to get the birthright in exchange for a bowl of stew. But to steal the blessing was just unthinkable and unforgivable. And as I was studying for this, in a lot of ways at first glance, I could paint Jacob as the bad guy. But overall, with, without Rebecca's help, I don't think it had to go down the way it went down. God would have somewhere along the way intervened because he had already declared what would happen. He already declared when he told Rebekah before the children were born, he already declared that one day the older would serve the younger. So Rebekah didn't have to do what she had to do. Jacob could have done differently in this story. And as I studied and read various commentary on the customs and culture of that time, a few things become clear. Esau, one, grew up knowing that Jacob wanted the birthright, especially now after the ordeal with the pottage. It's clear. My brother wants what I have. And this scenario or discussion on the birthright probably surfaced again throughout the time that the boys live with one another. 
But Rebecca interfering is a factor that clearly the story would have been differently had the mother behaved differently. One of the major points we should learn from this story is that through it all, at all costs, we must protect the blessings that God gives us. And you say, well, how could Esau have protected it? Oh, he could have protected it. He could have been adamant about whenever his brother brought it up. No, no, no. This is mine. This is mine. I was born first. He could have been a lot more defensive in defending what should have been his. And the truth is, when God blesses us and promises us things, sometimes we just let it go to the wayside. One, because it didn't happen in our timing. Or maybe we don't feel it's fair that someone else got something. There's a whole lot of reasons and complaints and excuses we can come up with for how we don't protect the blessing God gives us. How many know our children, as we talk about family this year, they're worth protecting. They're worth, they are blessings that God has given us, right? And Esau, the whole reason this happened is Esau didn't put any, didn't put any effort into protecting the birthright. The greatest treasures of this life are the blessings God has given to each of us. It's important to understand that with the blessings and promises, God wants us to be good stewards of it all. Somebody say stewardship. If I gave you a million dollars, would you be a good steward with that? You would say, ooh, give it to me now. But three months from now, what would you have done with that million? Huh? Would it be gone? Would you have bought a Bentley and a, and a three-car house, a three-story house or whatever, right? How many know when God blesses us, we have to be good stewards with the blessing, right? We can't be like the parable of the talents. We can't bury that, that talent in the ground, God gave it to us for a reason. Sometimes that blessing is for us to exercise. It's for us to utilize, right? It's not for us to be quiet when God heals our body. We're supposed to tell somebody else, he did it for me, he can do it for you, right? Good stewardship requires that we protect and preserve the blessing God imparts to us. We should never allow these blessings to become cheapened as we go about living life. We should never take for granted all God has done and is doing for us. Once he realized what had happened, Esau was filled with anguish. He cried out with a great and exceeding cry in Genesis 27 and 34. His, his was a cry of anger and discontentment, born out of an instant bitterness. In his frustration, he begged his father, bless me, bless me, even me also, O my father, in verse 38. And sadly, after, only after he had lost what should have been valuable did he realize what had truly been taken from him. Esau was reduced to begging. From going from leading and one day, you know, being the head of the family, he was reduced to begging for a scrap of a blessing after it was too late. Esau was not left without a blessing, though. He was given a blessing far less significant than what he had originally been prepared. But what he finally received was but a shell of what he could have had. Esau wept as his father pronounced a blessing on him. Thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. Isaac went on to tell Esau that he would live by the sword and serve his brother. And there would come a day when he would be given dominion to break the yoke off his neck. Each of us bears the sole responsibility 
of cherishing our spiritual birthright and the blessing of God in our lives. The spiritual birthright of being born again is the greatest experience you and I have on this side of heaven. To realize that the God of all glory has forgiven our sins and placed his spirit inside of us is really almost beyond comprehension. Knowing that the very presence of God, that back in Genesis and Exodus and and Moses and David, back in those days, they could only experience the Lord at a distance. But now we can experience God face to face anytime we want to, really. We have access to the throne that they never had access to. That spirit of God is living in us, and it should impress upon our spirits just how much we should cherish what God has done in our lives. When Esau failed to realize, or what Esau failed to realize, sorry, and what we must never forget is there are some things that once we lose them, we can never regain them. That is not to say we can't be forgiven for sins we may commit in the future or that, you know, backsliders or, or people that have left the church cannot be restored. What it's saying is that there are some blessings that God has given us that through our careless disregard, we bargain them away. God is not obligated to ever restore them in our lives. And some of us are living witnesses of this. Like Esau, there can be other blessings Hopefully, we never reach that particular point. But also, like Esau, they will never be as great when you lose them and get them, or when you lose them and ask God to bless you again. They'll never be as great as the ones God had intentionally, originally intended for us. We have all heard the saying that some things are just not for sale, and that must be the sign we hang over every blessing that God has given us. We must cherish the blessings of God. Please stand with me this morning as I come to a close. Every day, God places blessings in our lives. He makes a deposit from the storehouse of heaven into our accounts here on earth. And he does this because he loves us and desires nothing but good for us. Somebody tell your neighbor, God loves you. He does. God loves you. Deuteronomy chapter 28 Verses 1 through 3 declares just how much God wants to bless us, and it shall come to pass. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, blessed shalt thou be in the city and blessed shalt thou be in the field. If we will be faithful to the Lord and listen to his voice, he will overtake us with blessings. Actually, we have all been overtaken by blessings. Some blessings we prayed for, or most of them we didn't even pray for. And God still has blessed us. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Each day he loads us down with blessings, both seen and unseen. It is our responsibility to cherish every single blessing. It is our responsibility never to take those blessings for granted or to allow them to tarnish in our eyes. We cannot cannot allow the attitude of Esau to take root in our spirits. The things of this world should never be more valuable to us than the things of the Lord. 
How many of you know there will always be someone looking to cheat us out of the blessings God has planned for us? There's always someone. There's always an adversary. I don't have to tell you the devil is public enemy number one here. But there will always be, hear this, there will always be something enticing, something savory and appealing, just like it was for Esau. There will always be something that looks good to us on offer to us, trying to get us just to give up those blessings God has put in our life. It won't be stew because something's wrong if it's going to be a pot of, of porridge. But maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's another opportunity that's just a little too good to be true. Maybe it's something to pull you out of the house of God on Sunday. I don't have to. I can give you example after example, but it will look good to us. It will look really good to us, but it's just on offer to, to get us to give up what God has blessed us with. If we do not hold the blessings of God as precious, then it will not be a hard sale for those trying to take what is not rightfully theirs. While truth is the greatest blessing we have and we are instructed to buy it and never sell it, every blessing from God should be seen as valuable to us. It would be a tragedy for us to find ourselves where Esau was, bitter and angry over the blessings we have lost. It is far better to cherish the blessings of the Lord and never let anything distract us from their true worth. If you're going to cherish the blessings of the Lord, why don't we close with giving God praise for those very blessings that he's gave us? Would you just thank the Lord right now for the blessings he has put in your life? Come on, would you tell the Lord, God, I'm not going to give it away. God, I'm not going to let this world, God, take away what you have blessed me with. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings you've given us, God. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm gonna...